Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was so weak. Good morning, everyone. All right, let's get excited. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, we can make a lot of noise in here. That's a good thing, right? Amen. Well, welcome. If it is your first time, uh, we especially welcome you. My name's Jamie. I am the associate pastor here. And uh, as people, I love that, you know, people are still filling in upstairs and downstairs. And again, uh, you know, if you could and you have not updated your contact information, Kathy would really appreciate it if you would do so. Those are in the front of the uh, church, uh, I'm sorry, in the hallway here. There's a table set up with contact cards. And we want to make sure that we have the right contact information for you so we can keep you updated on everything that's going on. There's a lot of things happening right now. Uh, a lot of good things. The Lord is moving in our midst. And so I just want us to stay excited and, and stay encouraged by that. I know that, you know, obviously we're wearing masks and we're socially distancing and doing the best we can with that. And I appreciate, we appreciate you doing that. Uh, and we also want to just make sure that, you, you know, we remind you that uh, you continue to wear the masks if you're moving about the building, if you're moving around here. Um, and, and, and remember that we also have a landlord that owns this building, and they're going to actually be starting to meet again soon, too. So we want to be especially studious there in the sense that uh, we make sure that we're setting a good example and showing them that we respect their space. So please continue to do so. Uh, thank you for following that. I know, I know there is uh, mixed emotions and feelings about those things, but there's no place for that here. Essentially, we're just here to be obedient and shine a light. Amen? So thank you for that. Thank you for, for being a good example, everybody. Uh, November 1st, we're going to go back to our 1030 time, as I said, because uh, the Congregational Church will begin to use the downstairs again. That means that we're going to stagger the time, so we'll go back to 1030, which is essentially our normal hours throughout the year except for summer. So um, again, as I mentioned last week, if you're somebody who is uh, still... Oh, good. Actually, they won't even hear this announcement. Perfect. They'll still think we're starting at 10 and show up right on time. It would be great. So um, uh, we're going to be leaving an offering basket downstairs, um, you know, somewhere outside of that area. So if you are sitting downstairs one week, you don't have to come up here to tithe. Uh, as you know, and if you're not familiar, we do not pass a plate here, as they say. Uh, we have that little church building right near the, the elevator with all the little... Uh, people of different colors uh, all over it and uh, probably don't announce this enough or remind you all enough that that is an act of worship between you and the Lord. Um, you know, we just want to encourage you to partake in that blessing, but uh, we're not going to force it. We're going we're gonna to allow you to, uh, we're going to allow the Lord to move and, and, and work on you there and, and obviously you to, to give as you feel led. Uh, speaking of giving, there's something I just wanted to announce to the church and we're super excited about. Um, and, and, you know, the Rogers family, can you just wave to me, guys? I don't know if you've met the Rogers family yet, but they've been coming for a little while now. It's a great group of people. Say hi, everybody. Hi, Rogers family. All right. Um, so the Rogers family, uh, Rosalind Rogers, Denny's mom, uh, passed away in January, I believe. Was it January? December. And um, through that, uh, there was an inheritance that he bought a van. Uh, the family bought a van and donated it to the church they were at, and that was for ministry. Um, since then, they ended up here, and so that actually, uh, that blessing is being passed on here to South Coast Community Church. So in memory of Rosalind, uh, South Coast is now going to have a 12-passenger van. It's a nice, beautiful van. 
Um, I, I actually saw pictures. It's awesome, right? Um, thank you guys for your generosity. And obviously, it's meant for ministry. Uh, it'll, be packed, it'll be parked in the Euro parking lot here. And that means if you don't have a ride to church or somebody needs a ride to church that you know of, uh, please let us know soon. It's, it's not on the road yet, but in the next few weeks it will be. Uh, and that'll be a way to get people to church on Sundays that don't have transportation. Uh, Shaston goes out on, on Saturday sometimes to do uh, homeless ministry. And so the, the van will be used for that. And um, that means more people can go. Uh, and, and, and anything else, you know, retreats, youth retreats, anything like that. Uh, what a blessing it is. So we're very grateful that, you know, the Lord has provided that for you and, and for us here as a church. So thank you very much. Great news. Um, so uh, with that being said, you know, I, I was just thinking this morning as I was running around getting ready, my son's been sick and it's just a cold. You know, everybody gets all worked up. It's like you get a cold and now I'm getting COVID tests and I'm doing all that. And it's such a crazy time, right? You know, the poor little guy's sick and I'm holding him and I'm just sitting there, you know, talking to him. And uh, he's just so happy. Even when he's sick, you know, I don't know about you guys. Who's familiar with the man cold? Has anyone ever had one of those? It's a terrible, terrible virus. It's, it's seriously, the only thing it's second to is COVID. Uh, and, and so, you know, I was looking at him, and he's just a baby. And, and I said, boy, you know, it's, it's amazing to see where he's under the weather. He has been for several days now. Um, and he's just so happy, like, just to be with me, just to, just to be alive. And he just shines all the time. And the second I walk into the room or he walks into the room and I I can't help but be happy. And I thought for a second, isn't that who we're supposed to be? Like, isn't that how it's supposed to be? And Pastor had talked about shining and we've been using that term, keep shining. Because it's so important. You know, we hear a good sermon. We hear a good word that encourages us and reminds us. And we go, that was a really good word this week, Pastor. You know, that was a really good word we heard last week. And then what happens is is we wait for the next word and then we sort of take that one in. But are we really holding on to this stuff is the question. Are we continuing to shine, I guess, is what I wanted to ask you all. You know, because we have an opportunity every single day, you know, to shine our light to every person that we encounter. You know, whether we have a man cold or not, right? And so I took that, you know, I was taking that example from my one-year-old son, and I said, you know what, I'm going to shine no matter what. No matter how I feel on the inside, you know, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how tough things get, there's always something. There's always a lot of things, but there's one main thing to be thankful and grateful for. That's the cross. No matter what, we've got the grace of God in our lives, Amen. We've got hope to share with a, with a dark world, especially now. So let's get excited about that this morning. And so as we worship the Lord here today, I, I challenge you to step outside of your comfort zone. Sing a little bit louder, even if you can't. <laughs> you know, even if it sounds horrible, we don't care. Let's make a joyful noise into the Lord this morning. Clap your hands. Raise them if you feel like it. Don't feel like you can't do that here. If you can't shine here, where can you shine, right? Amen. So I'm going to ask you all to, to, to stand. Oh, actually, no, we're not going to stand yet because Pastor Brian's going to come up. But I'm going to pray for the sermon before he comes. You can come on up, Pastor, and we're going to pray for you in this sermon right now. How's that as a church? I'm going to ask you to, and, and, um, and I, joke, I joke about Pastor's pinky toe and all that, and we give each other a hard time. But, you know, honestly, I, I love this guy, and I'm grateful for him, and I hope we all understand the challenges of being a pastor or pastoring a church, putting together a message. I know how much he goes through. You, you think he cries a lot up here? Boy. 
Anyways, let's pray. Let's extend our hands to him and let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you've included us in it. Father, that we have breath in our lungs and a beat in our chest on this crisp fall morning, Lord. We are alive. And that is so good. Things might not be exactly the way we hoped they would be right now. But, Lord, your word says that you're working all things out for good. So we're going to trust you in that. We're going we're gonna to trust you, God, that you're taking good thing, bad things and making good things out of them. That you can redeem anything and anyone. So, Lord, we lift our hands and worship you to you today, God. Father, we lift up our pastor as he is he about to present a word and a message that you've put on his heart. We ask you, Lord, to just give him this fresh anointing, God, this excitement, and, and reinvigorate him this morning, God. Remind him that he is doing a good work for you, that we love him and appreciate him, God. He is a great example, Father, of what commitment and dedication and service look like, Lord. And, Father, we thank you, God, for his transparency and his vulnerability. The Lord, that he, that he admits uh, his imperfections, Lord, that he doesn't think of himself more, himself more highly than he ought to, but God, with sober judgment according to the faith that you've allotted to him, God, Father, we thank you that you have uh, allowed him the privilege of leading this church and leading us. So, Father, have your way in this message, in this service, in the worship that's going to take place in a few minutes, Lord, and let us just make a joyful noise. Let us just rock the foundations of this building Help us, Lord, to, to shine our lights brightly in Fairhaven and New Bedford and Dartmouth and Freetown and Cushnet, wherever it is, Lord, that we live and we're from. Let us remember it's not just here in this building, but wherever we go, we are your church, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thank you. Well, how many know the gospel's always encouraging? The gospel's Always good news. Amen. Can we get a, a hand clap for that? The gospel's always encouraging. But gospel living is also incredibly challenging. And so last week we had, I think, an encouraging message. We talked about living joyfully. And we said that Christian joy is a barometer of our spiritual lives. That it's a good indicator of how we're doing on the inside, spiritually. We said that like when the canary in the coal mine stops singing, when the Christian loses our joy, that there is grave danger. We said last week that Jesus himself connected our, da our daily spiritual life with, with this joyful living. Those things where they couldn't be separated. It's directly connected to our dwelling and grounding in Christ. And so I want to ask ourselves this morning, what does our pattern of living look like? The, the way we've chosen to live, to order our lives in terms of our spiritual depth, our spiritual discipline, and just even our spiritual awareness. Because Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you, if you obey me, if you surrender to me, you will dwell, you will exist, you will center yourself in the love of Christ. And he said that he's told us these things so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. So Jesus is saying here, this is the way to fullness of living. That you ground yourself in my love, that you dwell in that. 
And, 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 and that's it, that profound truth that we're going to spend our entire lives together trying to live out is right there in front of us. And my prayer is that we grasp for that together. Amen? Because Jesus is telling us the way to joy, dwell in the love of Christ, remain, stay, live from, from that place, so we know that being in the Word for study and for devotion We know that being in Christian community and groups, we know that attending service, being part of a local church, serving, we know having a prayer life individually and together with others, we know that these things done in worship will foster joyful living. We've talked about that in the past. It seems like Jamie and I have continued to sort of preach over these these themes what, what patterns, what disciplines, how can we be intentional together? Because if we're not intentional, you know, we can have all these wishes and desires. But if we're not actively intentional together, because if, how many people know if you set goals, it's, you, you know, you have people walking with you, keeping you accountable, you're a lot more likely to set those goals. And that's a good, healthy way to look at church is you're, you're with a group of people and you all have the same goal, right? To be more like Jesus. And we got to help one another instead of criticize, well, there, I'm further along than they are, and they're not as far along, right? So there are positive things we can try and do. And I think we've talked a lot about those things. And I think we're going to continue to kind of to, to manifest and to, and to delve into those things and to get deeper and to explore. But one of the things we also have to do is guard against certain things in our lives, right? We have to cultivate positive habits, cultivate patterns of healthy spiritual living, but we also have to guard against the onslaught of spiritual and cultural and just our own flesh fighting against us every day. Am I preaching to anybody? And so this morning I want to practically focus on some of the things that we allow to rob us of our joy because a lot of us that joyful living, we got so much of this stuff, so many of these spiritual obstacles, that those things got to get removed. And so that's what I'm preaching for this morning. For that, in the name of Jesus, that those obstacles get removed. And that we progress, we move forward together. We need to be aware that living in ongoing, unconfessed, unrepentant sin will steal our joy. Amen? We need to be aware that living in ongoing, unconfessed, unrepentant sin will steal our joy. And so I want to address that with you this morning because I want all of us to live joyfully. And if the Word, if the word confronts us with some things, then we need, to, we need to do business with that. We need to allow that text to, to do surgery, heart surgery a lot of times, oftentimes, all the time perhaps, on us. And so that's why we're here this morning. So please stand as we transition to worship. And uh, let's just ask the Lord to give us that sort of a heart. A heart prepared and receptive and humble, teachable, that His Spirit would testify to our spirit of the truth and the power of the gospel. Amen? Good morning, church. I kind of feel like I let you guys down because uh, Pastor Jamie said something along the lines of, Feel free to clap your hands and everything else. And like, I don't have any hand clappers in this in this set, so uh, I apologize for that. Um, I tend to lean towards the uh, 
more of the uh, slower songs, and I get uh, picked on for that often. But anyway, it's all in love, all the same, amen? So our first song we're going to sing, church, is uh, Holy Spirit, and um, everything that Pastor Jamie said just now, and everything that Pastor Brian just said, none of it can be done outside of, or we can try, outside of the Holy Spirit, amen? Being filled with daily, <clears throat> being led by, as uh, the bridge in this song says, being aware of his presence and experiencing the glory of his goodness. Amen. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope, your presence, Lord. Oh, I've tasted and seen. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Oh, 
Overcome, Lord, by your presence. To know your voice, Lord, to know you is what we desire. Not just this morning, Lord. Each and every day, we need you. We need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We need your direction and your guidance. In Jesus' name.
time just the voices to Jesus. Oh, to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. I will ever love and trust in his presence daily. And I
Father, let those not just be words that we sing with our lips, but let that be the cry of our hearts. Father, because we want to be effective and we know that for that we need to surrender. We want to be more like Jesus and we know that for that we need to surrender. And Father, we come here with surrendered hearts this morning, knowing that you'll meet us in that place and change us forever. Do that this morning, Father, particularly, especially in the lives of anyone here, God, any, any individual in this room that doesn't know you right now, that's been brought here, God, and thinks they were just invited or thinks they're just checking it out, or, but this is a divine appointment that you orchestrated from the beginning of time to meet souls in this place to change eternities in this place. And Father, we know the power and the name of Jesus does that. Let us continue to see that happen, God. That's why we exist. Have your way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be seated, and thank you, worship team. Well, we know that in Christ, we know that the facts, we know the intellectual truths, we understand that in Christ, we have the joy of salvation. If I asked you that question on a test, you'd know the answer in your head, that we have the hope of heaven, and you have that answer in your head, but do we live every day with that truth in our hearts? The truth that we are citizens of another place, that we are heirs with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Do we live that out? Or is that just some theology, some doctrine, some, some set of truth that we believe in our head but ignore in our heart? Because I think that the Bible promises peace that, I don't think, I know, the Bible promises peace that transcends understanding. 
I know that we need to be grounded in gratitude and we need to not allow ourselves to become discontent if we're to live joyfully. If we lose our grounding in, in Christ, I know we wander. I know I wander. I know I have a tendency to neglect the living water and the bread of life and go seek out empty wells and, and manna that doesn't feed I think sometimes we're spiritually starving and we're wandering in the desert. And so I want to talk about it. I want to talk about ongoing, unconfessed sin. And that's heavy. And somebody's like, oh, great. You know, I had my friend come today and pastor's going to preach on ongoing, unconfessed sin. Light topic. That's wonderful. But I'm going to start with a promise here, because remember when I told you the gospel is always good news and it's always encouraging? There's never a moment where it's not. I want to start with a promise, and here it is. Ready? Acts 3.19. Repent then. This, this, this scripture right here is, is preaching to me right now, and it's preaching to, this, this is preaching to a lot of us, these words right now. Don't just hear this as just some isolated scripture. Don't just hear, hear this as the word of God to our hearts, to your heart, to my heart. As the answer to why you're not working in joy. And it could be anything in your life that you need to repent of. You could consider it big or small or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Here's the promise. Repent then and turn to God. So that two things happen. Ready? Your sins might be wiped out, and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Man, what, I mean, that's exciting, right? We don't like the repent part. We don't like that we're going to have to talk about ongoing unrepentant sin. We're a little, you know. But Jesus came to remove that penalty, folks. The awareness of the situation and the, and the battle and the ugliness of sin in our lives just should make us so aware of the power of sin, but of the greater power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so the good news is that all you can do is repent and turn to God. You're here, whatever you're facing, whatever it is, there's no exemption from this. There's no asterisk, there's no fine print. You didn't come here with something that what I'm preaching to right now doesn't apply to. This is to you. This can't not be to you. Repent and turn to God. It means forget about whatever it is. Forget the nonsense. Forget yesterday. Forget all the stuff. All of that. Repent. Turn away from it. Stop thinking about it. Stop, stop, stop actively walking in it. Just repent and turn back to God. You know what's going to happen? Your sins are going to be wiped away, and you're going to be refreshed by the Lord. Hallelujah. But some of us are stuck up on whether we want not we want to repent. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to repent. I mean, I kind of do. I kind of don't. And then we, why don't I have joy in my life? I did it for a long time. I'm not, listen, I'm not making fun of you. I am. I am making fun of you. But I was the poster child for that for a long time. So I'm making fun of you coming from a place where I know. But you want to live joyful. Everybody wants to live joyful. We just, we just think there's going to be some other way. I want to live joyful. Jesus goes, put me first. And we're like, well, I'll get back to you. Let me, let me explore every possible option under the sun. 
If you like math, ready? Here's the equation for you. This whole sermon, I even did PowerPoints. I told Becky, I said, I have PowerPoints for this. And she was like, yeah. Yeah. So if you like math, this is, I have an equation. I drew it out of this passage that I just read. Ready? Show slide. Ready? Here's the equation. You repent, and your sins are wiped out, and refreshing comes from the Lord. See, one thing leads to the other. You can't kind of stop that from happening. And then it equals joyful living. If you like math, that's true. And, and you've got to start with you got to start with the beginning. You've got to start with the repentance. But some of us are trying to live joyfully without repenting. And it can't be done. That's a lie of the enemy. That's probably the great lie of the enemy. But there it is. I have a more simplified equation. You remember simplification? You have to, like, reduce the equation. Ready? You're going to like this one, the next one. I don't know if you can see that little, little text there. It says something. I can hardly make it out standing here. Jesus is greater than your greatest sin. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the promise. That's what happens in repentance. That ought to encourage us. Sin, and I mean, I mean strongholds sometimes. So I'm going to talk about spiritual strongholds. I'm talking about sin that we've been fighting with for, for years in some cases. So I want to talk about that. But you know what else I want to talk about? Because honestly, a lot of times, we don't even put a fight up when temptation comes. You know what I'm talking about? Am I preaching to anybody? Let's face it. Some of us just love our sin more. Some of us are like, you know, Jesus, I'm going to do business with you at some point. I'm just not there yet. Like we're we're promised tomorrow. Sometimes the problem is, is we're just lazy spiritually. I mean, that's the truth. Can, can I be honest? Sometimes my problem is I'm just lazy spiritually. So there are people I'm going to be talking to that are like, Pastor, I know, thank you for encouraging me, because I'm fighting. I've been fighting this sin for a long time, and I'm going to keep fighting, and you encourage me to keep fighting, and praise God. But the, some of you haven't even started fighting against the temptation in your lives. See, when Paul writes his letter to his spiritual son, encouraging him, he says, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Because that's what we're all doing here together. That's it, right? We're running the race. We're keeping the faith. We're fighting the good fight. And to those who are doing that, I say, fight on, brothers and sisters. But I'm also talking about the ones that the only race they're winning, running is the rat race. They're going to church, but they're not running no spiritual race. I'm talking about those people whose faith ain't weren't trying to keep because it ain't there. I'm talking about people who stopped putting up with any spiritual resistance long ago. Stopped putting up any, any resistance. Just become complacent. And how things ought to be. And they're Christians, but they live their entire lives in relation to what happens to them. They don't, they're not intentional. They're not in, determined. They don't set out to say, I'm living for Jesus today. I'm his servant. They just kind of wake up and whatever happens to them, they react to it. Because they're not grounded in anything. So how are we going to start if we can't be honest here together about what's going on in our spiritual walks? If you can't honestly say, not to me. 
but to yourself. Yeah, Pastor Brian, you know what? You're talking about battle and spiritual, you know, ongoing struggle and ongoing sin. I haven't even, I haven't even stepped up to the plate. I haven't even taken a swim, swing. Praise God. That's fine. That's why you're here. Good. Then you can either be like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not there. Forget it. That's the enemy wants you to do. And he wants you to go, see, you can't fight temptation. You're not going to see what he's talking about. You're never going to be able to do that. Just go. You shouldn't even have came. That's what the enemy is saying to some of you right now. It's not the truth at all. Of course, the truth is, amen. Take a first step. Say, you know what, I'm going to take an honest assessment of my life. If, if you're living joyfully, then Jesus is the center, because there's no way to live joyfully without him as the center. You can live, you know, you can live with highs, you can have pleasure and fun. I'm not saying, not, I'm not saying that, but deep, resounding joy Peace that surpasses understanding. Understanding your life in relation to the God of the universe. That stuff, that's key. That's everything. Everything else is a substitute for that. But if, but if you're like most of us, if you're honest, you can look and say, you know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm joyful. You know, I don't, I don't maybe have that grounding in joy. And we said it's not happiness all the time. It's not what that means. Then I think for a lot of people in this room, it's about sin. It's about guilt and shame. Because guilt and shame will steal our joy faster than almost anything. That ongoing sin is going to send joy far, far away. And so we're going to look at some scripture that deals with the effects of our sin, not only on our own lives, but on the family, on the community, on the church. On the world around us, because when sin affects me, it affects my witness, amen? And my witness is affected. Eternities are at stake, amen? No, I understand the Lord's going to work His purposes, but how cool is it is that we get to be part of that as we surrender, right? So we're going to look at like James 1, 12 through 17 in action. This isn't going to be our main text, but what that says is, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will, not might, not may, but will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I wish I had time to really... Really flesh that out. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. God doesn't tempt you. God's not tempting you. What you want deep down inside, instead of him, that's what's tempting you. Your longing, your heart of hearts, the thing that you think you need, that's what's tempting you. God's saying, you got it all wrong. I'm the source of what you long for. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change by shi like shifting shadows. That's encouraging. Amen. That's a promise. So we're going to read from the Old Testament. We're going to look at, uh, in Joshua, the story of Achan. And it's interesting, you know, the Bible says a lot about this topic. 1 Timothy 6, 9. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Probably one of the misquoted scriptures ever. You ever hear anybody say money is the root of all evil? All the time everybody says that. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of us have seen this played out again and again and again and again in our own lives and the lives of others? In a survey in, a survey in Discipleship Magazine, readers were asked and they were saying, you know, um, What's your greatest spiritual obstacles? What are, the, what are the things that get in the way of you putting Jesus first? And the number one thing was materialism. The number one thing was just this, this sense of wanting more, the sense of, of feeling like you have to have, which what does that do? It leads to an endless cycle of never feeling satisfied. Maybe that's why Jesus talks about money so much. I was just talking the other day, because like in the news you probably guys saw, but there was like a house in Dartmouth that was like $25 million in the ocean. It was like, wow, that's beautiful. Imagine having that. And not, you know, that. But then you see the boat that was in Fairhaven, and that was a $570 million boat. And you just, you know, it's just, you think the guy that has a $25 million house is happy? No, he's looking at the guy who wants the $570 million. Because it's never enough. Because it's never enough. You can't substitute anything for Jesus and have it ever be enough. Praise God for that. Praise God that nothing comes close that you don't go, yeah, yeah, this is, this is good enough that I'll give up Jesus for it. That's why I say that the story of the rich young ruler to me is like the most tragic story in all of Scripture. It's like you just gave up the, the, the most valuable the, the ultimate treasure, you just gave it up for garbage that's not even going to last. It's not even eternal. It's, it's, it's gone. It's literally going to be gone. But we make decisions every single day in our lives, and we do that. And then we go, where's my joy? And then God goes, you just traded your joy for, for that. Remember? When are we going to stop trading our joy in Jesus for all this junk that the world throws at us every time. The second one was pride and self-centeredness. People realizing that, man, you know, I am just... And that's, that's a step, that's awareness, right? To, to get that reality, get that sense of, man, it's always all about me. I mean, luckily my wife lets me know that, so I don't need to remind myself. <laughs> and then sexual lust and anger. But the survey respondent said, overwhelmingly, when they were asked, you know, why does, you know, why does this happen to you, this getting caught up with materialism and, and pride and all, and they said it, it was always as a result of neglecting time with God. Like, we know this stuff, folks. I'm not telling you anything. You're going to go, oh, let me write that down because, okay, if I neglect my, we know it. We just don't do it for a whole host of reasons, but we don't do it. And I think this sin, I think this ongoing sin that causes us shame and guilt, I think it plays deep down into it. 
we need to be aware that we're vulnerable to overconfidence when we have a spiritual victory. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Like God works with you in some areas of your life and, and, you, and you're doing good and you, you, know, you have some victory. And so you kind of just hit like autopilot. Almost like, Jesus, that was good, right? We did good, Jesus, you and me. All right, you go, you know, you go work on somebody else now. And I'm just going to kind of chill out, watch a little Netflix. And I'll let you know when I'm ready to tackle that next thing. Okay, Jesus? And then he's like, it's been six months. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, let me, I'll, I'll get back to you. I'm, I mean, I'm good, right? We, we overcame that last thing. That was, that was big. And then after a while, we stopped forgetting that it was all Jesus that overcame that last thing. We started thinking that maybe it was us and that maybe we can do it. Like, maybe next time you don't even need Jesus, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know, you, you did it. I mean, that's how the enemy works. That's, that's the strategy. That's what happens again and again and again. And we fall for it. We should be aware. We can become complacent about the other things in our lives the Lord wants to deal with. Here's the thing. If you're still alive, he's not done with you. In case you want to check, in case you're wondering whether or not he still want to work on things, yes. The Bible says, those of you who bear fruit, he tells you come back in a few months. No. It says, you're pruned. You know what that means, right? All the junk stuff, all the stuff that's not as lively, it's cut off. Why? So more life can come. You think pruning's comfortable? No, it's not comfortable. It's never comfortable. You ever have a tree with all kinds of flowers and it's pretty and you prune it all? It looks horrible. It's like, what is that thing? The spiky little dead porcupine in the front yard. That was the beautiful flowers. How is that good? Because next time the flowers will be even more beautiful. And next time the spiritual fruit will be even more glorifying to God. See, we don't need to become spiritually self-confident. That's not what we're looking for. We need to be God confident. Some of us in the church, we get, you know, confident in our own little, I'm good at being a Christian, man. (laughs) Nope. No, you might be good at following Jesus. You might be good at depending on Jesus, but it's not about you. It's about surrendering and allowing him to. Your victories, your spiritual victories are all by the grace of God. And so in the story of Achan, we see all of this stuff get played out. And that's why I want to give us a a foundation and a a framework to look at the psychology, to look at this isn't just an Old Testament story that we can't relate to. This deals with all of our human struggles today. Overconfidence in self. Materialism, selfishness, pride. And ultimately that results in what? Hidden sin. And ruined lives. Have you ever noticed the similarities between Israel and Christian America? Nations bountifully blessed by God. Nations who had great victories. Nations who claim powerful promises of God. Now I know this is not I know the United States is not a theocracy. But also both flirting with defeat by turning away from God. You see, both nations have a friend in God, and both nations have enemies that would love nothing more than to destroy them. 
Our main text is going to be Joshua 7. But before I read that, I want to give you some context. Because Joshua means Jehovah saves. It means the Lord is salvation. It corresponds to the New Testament name Jesus. So as we're talking about this, this sin, as we're talking about this, this struggle, as we're talking about this human, you know, this, this ongoing desire to be like Jesus and, and, to, and to walk with God, but then to get pulled away and, right, we can find that the Lord is salvation. We can find a promise Right in the midst of it, Joshua is one of the 12 spies of Israel sent by Moses to explore the land of Canaan we read about in Numbers. So these events take place after the Israelites left Egypt, the end of the 40-year wilderness, probably 1405 B.C. Joshua is approaching 90 years of age. He becomes Israel's leader after the death of Moses. He later dies at the age of 110 having led Israel to drive out most of the Canaanites, divided the land among the 12 tribes. Only he and Caleb gave the encouraging report, right? So the reward was that only these two of their entire generation went into the promised land. God would give Israel the land by conquest to fulfill the covenant he had pledged to Abraham and his descendants. So in chapter 7, in chapter 6, the people of God stand before their enemy. They defeat them. Israel's been involved in the greatest military conquest in their history. Powerful story. God led the people of God to to defeat Jericho. He had given them instruction. They had followed his orders. Done what they were supposed to and miraculously they were victorious. Sounded the trumpets, the walls came down. And they turned from this fresh victory from things going their way. And they turn their attention to I. Scripture tells us it was Eth of Bethel. It was a much smaller community. The spies said there's only a few men there. Yet these few men, these, these smaller sins, these things that we can, we can you know, come off this victory of these major battles in our lives, these major spiritual things, and we can say, ah, that right there, that's not a big deal. I don't even have to deal with that. It's going to get, yeah, a couple soldiers. You go take care of that. I'm not going to. Focus on that. Yet the little, the little bit of sin, that, that little bit of us trying to do without God, that little bit of them not doing the things that they did the first time is going to result in defeat. How is that possible? Well, I want you to notice what's absent. First of all, we're going to see there's no praying going on. The people of God are confident, but perhaps they're self-confident about their success. What they're really doing is looking, and they're not saying, what's the Lord asking us to do this time? What they're saying is, look what we just did last time. You see how this translates? You see what I'm... Because it's what we do. After such a wonderful experience at Jericho, chapter 7 seems a bit surprising that these secret sins can creep in when we're unaware. Suddenly in our lives, we, we seem to be walking in a place of all these failures when there was all this success. What changed? What's different? Our allegiance changed. Our consecration, consecration changed. Our prayer life changed. Our dependence changed. 
One minute living in victory, the next defeat. The distance, only one step, amen? Many of us know that, right? The, the difference between living in victory to a great defeat is one short step. The Bible tells us that, Genesis 4-7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, if you do, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your do- door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You don't need to open the door and call for sin. You know, it's like, you know, my, my dogs, you know, they're at the door. I hear them scratching. They want to come in, and I open it like there before I can get the door open, right? That sin's there, and it desires to have you. First Peter 5.8, be sober-minded. means be intentional, be thoughtful, be watchful, be focused, right? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Like, this is, this is how it works, right? Many times temptation and failure can come after success for a lot of reasons in our lives. Because we become self-sufficient. Because we let our guard down. Because we become, become arrogant. And so we stop listening to and we stop relying on God. And then we're self-focused rather than God-focused. We take our eyes off Jesus. You know, we get to the end, and we don't know how we get to the end because we're trying to, you know, we're trying to figure out how we got from that that victory, how we get from that big step to the end. And it wasn't one one leap; it was a lot of small steps in between. We no longer trust God; we become self-focused. We neglect God; we lack faith; we fall into self and sin; we lose our joy. This is, you know, there's no other way that that can go. It's a it's a downward progression if we don't stop. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of having lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So because of its location, its strategic location, I was the next objective in the path of conquest. And as with Jericho, its defeat was vital to conquest the entire land. It was smaller, but it was essential. It would give Israel control of the main route that ran along the highlands from the north to the south. So it was a key strategic point. They needed it. Turn with me in your Bible to Joshua 7. Because I want to I go through this together. Joshua 7. It starts and it says, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things of the ban. Now, I can't help but think that's like the story of all sin, right? But Adam and Eve acted unfaithfully in regard to the things in the ban. But Brian acted unfaithfully, right? I mean, that, that's it. It's the same thing. It's not like we got to, oh, what did he do? Let's, let's see how we can... It's always that. Jericho had been under the ban. So for something to be under the ban, it is two things. First, it means that everything living was to be completely destroyed. Destroy all living things. Wipe it out. Now, I don't want to go too much on a rabbit trail, but this has been called barbaric. These people, the Canaanites, were not innocent. They slaughtered their own children. They, there was, these were not innocent. They had hundreds of years to repent. This was the... 
This is the right sovereign judgment of the Lord. Just trust me that God is just. And if he does something and you go, that doesn't look right, it's the way you're looking at it. It's not God. And if we had time, I would, I would make that. But that's, that's the truth. They were a vile people. God had given them hundreds of years to repent. And the few who did turn to the Lord, Rahab and her family, they were spared. Now, no other nation either before or after Israel had been a theocracy. So these commands were unique. Israel as a theocracy was an instrument of judgment in the hands of God. This was unique historically. So first, everything living would be wiped out. That's the first thing under the ban. Second, all valuable objects like gold and silver were to be dedicated to the Lord. So the enemies of the Lord, the, the Lord is setting up this, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, right? There's no, there's no room for anything. So all the enemies of the Lord must be destroyed. All the resources must go to build up the Lord's treasury. And this was done as a kind of a fir- first, fruits of, first fruits of the land. It was evidence of the people's trust in the Lord. That's what the Lord was doing here. It was about, it was about the, the, the principle of, okay, everything we do is focused on the Lord first. This wasn't, that principle wasn't for then, just for then, right? It wasn't, well, it's just the Old Testament that they put God first in everything. No. The tithing of our income is part of the same principle, the idea of first fruits. And it's not just our income, but it's our time and our talents. It's us seeing my life. My ability, whatever ability I have is never for me. It's my ability. I don't, it's not for me. It's for the benefit of others. If you're a Christian, your gift is for the benefit of the church. Always. Just seems obvious, right? How are our gifts for us? They're, they're to serve. So it, it's the first fruits of not only our income, but our time, our talents, us seeing our life, our resources, our time on earth as living for him. It's recognizing God's control and property. If you make $400 this week, how much of it belongs to God? Some of you are like 40 bucks, right? No, $400. You see the difference there? You see, that's the way to look at it. It's not, well, I'm going to give God a portion of my money. No, he's letting you keep a portion of his money. So returning this, for, this first portion, being obedient to what God's saying here, is a way to confirm he's the owner of it all. You see how critical it is as God is building this nation to have people who are loyal, who are dedicated. There's no wavering. The foundation has to be built. You can't have people with one foot in and one foot out. We are stewards of what the Lord's trusted us with for this season. That's all we are. Like the guys at Teen Challenge say, like we joke around whenever you see something nice, it's always like, you know, especially you're in a program for a year, you know, you see a cup of coffee, that's nice, right? It's like, but you see a car, you see whatever, and we kind of joke around with each other, but it's true, I say, it's all going to burn, man. And it's true because it's a nice reminder because you're out there and somebody rolls up, you know, a Porsche, and you're just like, man. It's all going to burn. It's not going to be here. There's some point where that's not going to exist anymore. But what's done for eternity. So let's continue. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the, of the tribe of Z- Judah. You got all that? Took some of them. Stole it from God. That's what it is. 
when you're not faithful in the things that God asked you, not just in your giving, but when he prompts you, hey, pick the, pick the phone up, go talk to that person, hey, go pray with that person. When you're not faithful to, the, to be obedient to what God's trying to do in your life, you're robbing. You're disobedient to him. You know, how many times have we, you know, for whatever the reason, the enemy just stops us. The Lord wants to use us in a situation or a scenario. And before we can get out of our seat, the enemy's got 50 reasons why we shouldn't. Well, you don't know what to say. You're not walking straight. It's not the right thing. You know, what if you look stupid? And you go, before you even get out, the Spirit says, hey, that brother right there, go pray for that person. You need to pray. And, you know, man, we got to be faithful. Discernment. Spiritual obedience. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Set up a couple, two, three thousand men to take it. Don't weary the whole army. Only a few people live there. Hey, we checked it out. Not a big deal. We're going to kick back. We're going to watch Netflix a little bit more. And, you know, take those guys. There's actually a group of rowdy guys in that barracks. Take them. They're a little riled up. You guys go, and we're just going to we're gonna chill. We got this. How many times in my life the enemy's setting up, the enemy's going to come and take me out. He's got this spiritual battle. He's preparing. And I don't see it as danger. I'm going, you know the things I've overcome? You know the, the pride I have? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll you know. I can really deal with that. I mean, that's not gonna that's not gonna take me out after all the right. It's pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling, right? So about three thousand went up, verse four. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries, and they struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. The great Israel? How did they go from a great victory to a great defeat? What changed so fundamentally in their heart? At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear. At the terrible defeat, the people of Israel are feeling the same fear the enemies had experienced. Because this is one of the problems with sin, right? It defeats you and it makes you feel just like what? A lost person, right? That's what sin does. It makes you feel like when you were lost, right? That despair, that hopelessness. That's what sin does. That's why it robs us of our joy because it makes us feel like we felt before we met Jesus. See, that's the greatest lie of the enemy because if you know Jesus, you can never go back to that place. Don't allow the enemy to, 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 to have that in the forefront of your mind. Nothing is right in the life of a believer while there's still ongoing sin in his midst. I tell people all the time, I, you know, I'm ministering to people and I'm telling you, look, brother or sister, I'm not, it's not because I'm looking at your life and I'm going, well, I just want, you know, this is this sin. That's No, that's not. Your sin, my sin, is an outward manifestation of an inward spiritual sickness. When I see sin and I, and I do address it, when, when that's the case, 
It's because I'm seeing, it's because the canary in the coal mine stopped singing. It's because I love you. And I'm concerned, not necessarily with the sin that's manifest with outwardly like I'm shocked. Listen, there's nothing you can do that could shock me. Believe me when I tell you that. And you might take that as, well, I'm sure. No, you couldn't. You couldn't. Trust me. Jamie and I, you can't shock us. Not going to happen. Nothing you can do. But when I see people and I see them living faithfully in a lot of areas, and then in some areas I see just this ongoing sin, I just go, that's going to rob you of your joy. It breaks my heart that you're living with divided affection toward Jesus. Breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. As a minister, that's it. Because in my life, the number one thing I have to guard against is divided affection against Jesus. And as your pastor, the thing I care about more than anything else in the world is your divided affection when it comes to Jesus. Because it will lead to disaster. It can't lead anywhere else. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this. They will surround us and wipe us out from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Prostrating himself before the ark of the Lord suggests that they were humbling themselves before God. They were not guilty of this sort of calloused indifference. It wasn't like they didn't care at all. They were showing a deep concern. They, they needed, they were desperate for God's hand, right, for his wisdom and intervention. That's true. But also, if you, if, you, if you really look at the text, the words that follow, there's also these kind of like self-pity, right? Some self-pity and some doubt kind of crept in there like, well, you know, this would happen. What are we going to do for your name now? Guess that's all going to work out, Jesus, huh? I mean, this, you let this happen to us. You see that? Did you kind of pick up that little bit of pity potty? Like, we need you, Lord. And you kind of started out spiritually, but really you're kind of whining. Because a lot of times in our knees, I think we fall, a lot of times in our life, we fall down on our knees. We put our face in our hands. But there's feelings of self-pity and depression. Sometimes we want to give up. We want to withdraw. We want to just neglect our spiritual lives, and maybe that's where you are. But here's the, here's the thing I can promise you, is that those responses, they're not going to remove the pain. They're not going to solve the problems. They're not going to enable us to grow through the experience, right? We talked about that weeks ago. Don't just go through, grow through, right? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Some of us in this room right now, need to hear that word from the Lord. Stand up. What, what, what are you doing? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things that they've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand their enemies. 
This is why they'll turn their backs and run, and they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you devoted to destruction. Because you see, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, because sometimes we think it's isolated, but if you're a part of this body of Christ, you don't live in isolation. We're connected to one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you who are the body of Christ, each one of you is a part of it. See, Aiken's behavior illustrates what can happen when believers fall out of fellowship with God. With one another, when you're doing some stuff and you're not, you, you have people in your group and you have people that you're prayer partners and you're doing, and if you're living isolated and you got that shame and guilt happening and those very people that God put in your life, am I preaching to anybody? Ongoing sin will create trouble for everybody. Achan's name in Hebrew is, is a play on the word, word akor, or I don't know how to pronounce that, akor, which means trouble. Verse 13 says, go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel, and you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. So in the morning, present yourself tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family. The Lord's going to choose man by man. Whoever is caught will be destroyed by fire for the sake of time. I'm trying to kind of summarize here. He's violated the covenant of the Lord. Early the next morning, Joshua had come to Israel, had come forward by the tribes. Judah was chosen. The clans, the families, and Zimri was chosen. Had his fa family come forward, and one man, Achan, the son of Camri, the, the Carmi, the son of Zimri. It's like a Lord of the Rings, right? The son of Zerah, the original Lord of the Rings. The tribe of Judah was chosen as they stood there. So Joshua's basically being like, everybody out of your tents. Everybody line up. You know, if you've ever been in any kind of a context where, you know, you're in an academy or in the military or whatever, where everybody's supposed to be doing something, there's no like, I'm going to privately speak to you after. No, 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 no. I'm going to publicly speak to you now in front of everybody because what you're doing affects everybody. That's that principle in recovery in the military, in the church, right? That's the principle. It's not to embarrass you. It's an acknowledgement that it affects all of us. There's no, there's no, you know, trying to neglect that reality. There's no being sensitive to that spiritual truth. Each family belonged to a clan. Many families in a clan belong to a tribe. Many clans in a tribe, 12 tribes. Joshua tells... God tells Joshua, begin with the tribes. So they come forward. And you have to understand that the reason I'm telling you this, the person who committed the sin belonged to the tribe. So that means as they called the tribe, imagine, because this is what happens, right? Everybody line up. we got to address that. If I said that right now in the church, all right, everybody stay. We're going to have the meeting. Somebody's in trouble here, right? Only Kathy has those kinds of meetings, but... Let's just say I was a bad guy, let's for hypothetical. And then I said it was in this section, and then it was from this family. Each time, if it was you, you'd go, ooh, he's getting closer to me. But you know what that means is each time that was announced, Aiken had a chance to repent. 
See, that's not funny. Because what that means is that again and again and again, God's been faithful in warning us and in his mercy and grace. And we heard it called. And each time he heard it, as it was getting closer, he had another chance to just stand up. Just stand up and confess. What's the worst that's going to happen? Most of the problems we cause in our own lives, spiritually and otherwise, the result of, of our, will, our, our, it's really a lack of, of trust in God, really, is what it is. It can't, be, it can't but be anything else. Because we try to hide. And a sin that could have been a little thing, addressed, brought in the light, and wiped out. Because when we repent, it's wiped out, amen? Instead, it goes lingering, and years, months become years. And it's guilt and shame on something that God wanted to wipe out years ago in your life. He's saying to some of you right now, how did you, at your age, walk in the doors of this place again with those same burdens? How did you do that? When years and years ago, all I just asked you is repent, and I was going to wipe that out and refresh you in the Lord. Only after he was caught and convicted and condemned did he say, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it, and I hid it. Because that's what sin always does. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it, and then I had to hide it. And I've been hiding it for years. And wondering why I have no, many, no joy. Every chance to confess, but he continued in the lie, hoping he would not be found out. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son. This is a term of affection. This is said with love. With concern as a father. How we comfort each other. Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Him, Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with silver underneath. I saw, I coveted, I took, and then I hid. Those steps of sin are the same steps in the first sin of mankind ever to be committed. They're the same steps in every sin in our lives. But we can, we can cut out that hiding part at the end and we can repent instead. And we can say, we, we saw and we coveted and we took but then we repented and we were refreshed. We don't have to hide. If you're a Christian, how do you feel shame as a Christian? Because if you feel shame, you ain't ashamed of Jesus. So you're still looking at you way too much. Am I ashamed of me? No, because all I see is Jesus right now. I'm not, I'm not ashamed in that sense. Some of us are too caught up in, in the flesh part. And there's a balance to that. Some of you are like, I'm not ashamed at all. It's like, whoa. <laughs> Slow your roll there. We'll, we'll preach on that next week. Same steps with David and Bathsheba. Same thing. I mean, literally, this could be the same story, right? What happened? He hit it, and then what? He repented and refreshed. 
God doesn't want our obedience because we're afraid of getting caught. God doesn't want our obedience because it's expected. God wants our obedience as an expression of our love and trust in Him. That's why it breaks my heart when I see people with ongoing sin in their lives. Because I know how destructive that is when I don't put my trust and love in the Lord. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with his silver underneath. And we see a key point too that his wife, and I'm going to try to kind of, for the sake of time, wrap it up here because there's a few more points I want to make. I don't want to split this. You with me? We good? We Thank you, Bernice. Me and you'll be the only ones left. A couple, two, three hours, I'll still be going. See, the thing is, Achan's wife and children, they knew about the sin. Because he was supposed to be leading them, but what did he do? He led them, he involved them. Because that's what we do a lot of times. And if you're the leader of your household, if you're the responsible party, right? If you, if you were told to care for and to lead and to protect and to shepherd, your responsibility is for your household. And if you're leading, like Achan was leading his household into sin, putting them in the place, so what, what are they supposed to do? Their loyalty to what's right to God is, is divided with their loyalty to their husband and father. You see how that affects? Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. There was a, the children of Israel had trespassed. Israel had sinned. Because if Israel had been right with God, they could have prevented all this. In fact, nowhere at all does it even hint in Joshua that the people sought the will of God with defeating I. At no instance at all was there any consideration of involving God with this battle. They completely forgot about their last victory. They literally neglected everything they had done. And how often do we do that in our own lives? If they had prayed... They didn't take the Ark of the Covenant into battle, which symbolized the presence of power of God. They had confidence in their own power. But see, that's not the end of the story. In the Bible, what reveals most of those who made history, and biblically speaking, were men and women who failed dramatically at some point. The great heroes of our faith are people who were flawed in significant ways, but who, who refused to stay lying in the dust. All the great heroes had major failures. And their failure and their repentance secured for them a conception of grace and mercy. They learned that God is a God of second and third and 600 chances. Joshua 8, then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I, for I have delivered into your hands the king of I, his people, and his land. In other words, now that you've removed the sin, don't wallow in misery. It's done. You've repented. You're refreshed. Now go back into battle. 
That means the Lord's saying, now let's get back on track with the work I have for you to do. So that business you and I just dealt with, that sin in your life, we got to remove that, but not just so you can sit there now refreshed, so you can be what? Refreshed for battle. So you can go back and fight. And then in Joshua 8.31, the covenant is renewed. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebel an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. He built according to what was written in the book of the law. And in the presence of the Israelites, he wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. And then verse 33 said this, All the Israelites, the elders, the officials, the judges, they were standing on both sides of the ark, facing the priests. Both the foreigners living among them and native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half in front of Mount Ebel. And it says this in verse 34. Afterward, this is how the story ends, right? Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly, including the men and children and the foreigners. So finally we see that Joshua builds an altar to thank God. We've got to build altars in our lives, right? We've got to have those times and places, those points of remembrance where we can go back and say, that's an altar, right? That's a spiritual, that's an altar to the Lord. That's a remembrance for what he did at that time and that place in my life. But now he's, he's getting everybody. There's nobody that's not involved, and he's reading through the book of the law. He's saying, we, all right, we need a reset, folks. We gotta, we've, we've repented, we've been refreshed, now we've got to ground ourselves in, in the word of the Lord. We've got to rededicate ourselves and consecrate ourselves. We've got to build an altar, we've got to be reminded that we are people of the covenant. We've got to renew our vows. And we've got to continue to live as people of promise. You see, Jesus died, and the worship team can come up. Jesus died for the penalty of our sin. And we all know that. And everybody says amen. But he also died that we can have victory over the power of sin. Somebody needed to hear that because some of us are only living out half that promise. See, Jesus died to provide victory over the penalty and over the power of sin. Some of us are like, well, the penalty is removed. So you haven't lifted a finger in the power to fight the temptation. A successful Christian, and I use the word successful, I just mean walking in the victory that Jesus bought. You're successful if you just realize. Is the one who's learned, from, who's learned that no failure needs to be final. That's the lesson, that's the takeaway. No failure needs to be final. And so my desire is each of us would search our hearts. That we would examine our lives because we are Achans from time to time. And if we allow sin in our lives and we try to cover it up, if we bring pain and trouble into our lives and into the lives of those around us, we're affecting the whole community. This crime was a serious one. Sin is serious. It sent Jesus to the cross. Here's the saddest thing. Ready? Achan wanted the spoils. He thought nobody would know, right? I mean, literally, all this stuff is going to be destroyed. I'm going to take a little bit like, what does it matter? 
because we, this is important, just get this final point. Because what we do with sin, we minimize it, and we, and we, we try to package it, and we try to pretend, uh, and like we, we, we say all this stuff. But here's the thing, here's the point that I don't want you to miss. Achan thought, I'm just going to take a little bit. Why would God withhold that? It's going to be destroyed. He's a soldier. He had a family. He deserved it all the ways we rationalize. But here's the thing. Because of his sin, he missed God's blessing. Because you know what? For the next battle, God gave all the spoils to the people. A matter of fact, every battle after that, God gave all the spoils to the people. See, in our attempts to shortcut the will of God in disobedience, we rob ourselves of the blessing. Now, am I saying every time it's a, it's a material? and No, that's not what I'm saying. Principle is actually much, much deeper and more valuable than that. But what I'm saying is, your sin always robs you of God's blessing. So here's what God said to the king, to King David. I'm going to close with this. I was sharing this the other day with a good friend of mine. God said this to King David. There are scriptures that have affected me profoundly throughout my whole life. I can't remember a time where I was more cut in half by a scripture than this. 2 Samuel 12, 8. Talking to David, I gave your master's house to you, master's wives into your arms, I gave you all of Israel and all of Judah, and if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. In other words, the Lord's saying, I blessed you in this way, I did this for you, I did this for you. And here's the kicker. If you, ha- if you long for more, and that's really what that, with that saying right there, the, the, the question, the depth that that's probing towards is really, what is it you're longing for? That's really the point there is, what ultimately are you looking for? What do you think you need that you don't have in me? Because if you had only come to me, Achan, with your desire, I would have redirected it to something more beautiful and more valuable than you could have imagined. But you didn't. And instead, like any sin, we rob ourselves and our families of the blessing God has because of our actions. The Bible tells us that true repentance repent, will result in a change of actions. Acts 26.20 20 declares, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. The full definition of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. And we show again those two slides as a reminder. As the worship team takes us out, we can stand. But if we want to live joyfully, that's the equation, folks. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Let's share a quick uh, story, if I may. The first verse of this song says, All throughout my history, your faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms made way for spring. In every season from where I'm standing, the chorus goes on to say, I see the evidence of your goodness all around me and all over my life.
Last week we were in New Hampshire and um, we did a, a small ur hike. I think it was about three and a half miles or so. It's quite steep. I think it was Black Cap Mountain. And um, we're going up. Okay, about the first you know, 20 feet or so, I start complaining. Uh, and uh, it's pretty steep. Lots of rocks, lots of um, root systems. You're climbing over, and it's like, man, this thing's taking forever. It's climbing, and we actually had a couple of slips. This is quite steep. Like we made the made the uh, the wrong decision, the wrong path. Man, okay, make it go up, go up, go up. We finally get to the top, and there's a lot of stones. It's open. It's like, this is it, really. All that for this, about three miles or so. It was terrible. Yeah. Now we got to go down. So we turn around, and it was amazing. The beauty that we saw, and, and, and I think Cathedral Ledge is another amazing overlook, but I don't even know. I wish I did know the names of the mountains that were behind us. It was just so vast, and the treetops, there was actually snow caps as far as the eye could see on these mountaintops, and it was beauty, and it was there the whole time. Not once did we look back on that climb. I don't think we were up there a minute or two, and, and Mindy and I says, isn't it like the Lord? On that climb to the mountaintop, to be there the entire time, the majesticness of his presence, the evidence as we're going to sing of his goodness all over our lives. Amen. His track record. Amen. I'm not saying the bumps and the bruises don't come and happen. And, and, and some of these hills and these mountains we climb, they're steep. I get it. But he's with us. Amen. And he's faithful. Amen. Goodness. 
so much for the evidence that is all around us, Lord, that it is near, that you're near, that you care, you love, and provide for us, Lord, continuously. We pray your blessing upon this day, upon this week, as we go out to be your hands, your feet, and your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week, church. Stay with you, my God.